a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. My name is Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor. And today we are back with our friend Kimberly Montierth. Kim, how are you? Doing well. Thank you. Oh, thank for you. Me back. Thank you for joining us. For those who remember last week, we spoke with Kimberly about her own journey as a widow, a young widow with a house full of beautiful young children. Uh, several years ago now. Remind us, Kim, how many years has it been? Almost 19. In July it will be. My husband had been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer in uh, March of 2000. We had um, lots of experiences with that that we talked about a little bit during our previous podcast. And ultimately he passed away July of 2004. And I think today we're going to talk a little bit more about that journey after he passed away. And I appreciate you taking some time to share with us that because we tend to hear people's stories and we act as if the story is one isolated thing that is now just over and done and we check the box and we heard how your husband passed away and and then we just kind of move on and we have no idea well what happens next. And so we're really grateful that you would share with us what did happen next. And Michelle and I both sitting in this room our widows ourselves, and we're aware of some of the great work you've done next because it's impacted lots of other widows like us and widowers. So walk us through what happened next, Kim, and how you've gotten to where we are today and the good work you're doing to try to help connect and assist other widows and widowers. Sure. Well, I think first of all, for me, it's been a very spiritual journey. And um, I have friends of many different faiths and I think that may be a spiritual journey for many of us. (laughs) So whatever that journey is for you, this is mine. And I appreciate being able to share it. But I really felt the need to turn to my Heavenly Father, to God in prayer. And I felt somewhat isolated only because I just didn't know too many other people like me that were my age. And... Frankly, I thought about going to grief groups, but sitting with somebody who lost a spouse after 50 years of marriage, when I didn't get to have that, selfishly, that felt kind of hard to do. Yeah. And so I just wished that I could find friends that would understand and that were like me. And I I prayed for that. And... I prayed for comfort. I was actually in school full-time. I was working part-time, trying to care for my kids. 
and it was a little bit hectic at our house, as you can imagine. And a little bit. Trying to help my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Four daughters, one in college, one in high school, one in junior high, one in elementary school. So, you know, we spanned all educational needs, and they were great. And they were actually one of my greatest supports through all of it. But at the same time, I needed to be strong for them as well. So I think that early on, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And during the October conference session, President Hinckley, who had recently lost Sister Hinckley on April 6th of 2004, he made a statement in that general conference, in the last general conference session, inviting us to attend the temple more often. And that just sunk deep inside of me. But I also struggled to think, how am I possibly going to make time to go to the temple? And this thought came into my mind, go Saturday mornings when your kids are still asleep. And I'm thinking, what? That's when I want to sleep in. (laughs) But I ended up going to the temple very regularly. And that's going to look different for everybody's different situation. This was mine. And that became a place where I started meeting people. And I would say that the core of my meeting people was attending the temple. And it just opened up this opportunity to learn and to grow and to feel a closeness to the other side that I hadn't experienced before in my life. And it wasn't only while I was in the temple. So I would say that even as we strive to draw closer through reading the Bible, any scripture, and through prayer, that was a very great source of comfort to me. I appreciate all of those things that you shared. You know, when I got invited to this group originally that you created, I wasn't active and I thought, eh, I don't know how well this is going to go over or whatnot, but there is something about the power of widows and widowers coming together to support mm-hmm. each other. And so backing up a little bit, you brought up that you needed to be strong for some of those other people, but you didn't really know how. The interesting thing with this group is there's such a wide variety of loss and it's so different, but there's always somebody that can relate in that group to somebody else that really understands and gets it. And I think it's really important that we just need to be heard. Yeah, I agree. So Michelle's referring to a group that started about five years into my widow journey in August of 2006, there were five of us that actually met for the first time, and we met at the Ogden Temple, and we had arranged this meeting, and I, it's like we all knew each other through different people. We all connected and decided on this particular time to meet there, and we did, but after that, we chose to come to my home later in the evening, and we were sitting around talking. And one of the other young widows said that she was meeting with a counselor and she had told him that we were going to meet and that we thought we would do that like once a month. And he said, well, let me guide you a little bit. So instead of having you wallow in grief, let's, let's do some grief group sessions 
over the course of about eight weeks. And so Kent Allen is a marriage and family therapist in the Ogden area, and he was kind enough to set up an evening each week for about eight weeks that was leading into the Christmas season. And that was the very first time that I'd ever gathered with other young widows like that. And it was just widows at the time, no widowers. And it was amazing. You're so right, Michelle. The power of being with other widows and those who can relate to your circumstances, it was like, wow, this is an answer to my prayer. And I instantly had these people that I loved. And then just backing up a little bit, on September 11th, one of the young widows that met that first time in August, she had a pool at her home. And she said, I'm going to have a pool party. It happened to fall on September 11th of 2006. And there were six of us there because there was another young widow I hadn't met yet that she invited. And those six of us just bonded so much. And I lovingly refer to us as the six original widows. (laughs) So original that they were my six original widowed friends. And original in that we came together at those grief group sessions, but there were so many other young widows. So not to take away from any of those other relationships and their power and importance as well. But about a year after we initially got together, four of those young widows ended up remarrying and another was dating someone seriously. And I hadn't gone down that road yet. And I've been widowed the longest, but I haven't really had that experience. So anyway, I was so happy for all of them. I And we had expanded our widow grief group sessions with Kent Allen. I just kept meeting young widow after young widow, and then other people would meet. And just word of mouth, and people were just coming. And, and I would do these emails to everybody. This was before Facebook was really a thing. And so they were like adding email addresses to people and and getting different groups together just to do something fun. And Kent gave us so many ideas of how we could not just survive, but thrive. And he taught us red flags of dating and kids and grief and how we could help our children to be able to express how they feel, how to preserve the memories of their their father that they had lost. And so many, one young widow was only 21 years old, I believe, at the time, and had a four-month-old when her husband died. So uh, she had created, I believe it was, an ABC book that was everything about her dad to account for every letter in the alphabet, something mm-hmm. memorable that she could take with her. So those kinds of things, were so helpful to us in those grief group sessions and our numbers just began to grow and grow. I love hearing that. that, I love hearing (laughs) how it just so organic. It was, it was just so organic. It was such a need and people heard there might be an opportunity to help fill that need. I love that it was focused obviously on that connection, but like you said, Kimberly, it wasn't just let's get together and wallow. It's let's come together and, and share with each other. This is what's working or here's some advice or here's some counsel because sometimes, I mean, I can wallow plenty and that has its place, 
but I just need somebody to help me answer the question, how? Mm-hmm. How do I help my kids? How do I preserve those memories? How do I get out of bed on the days I don't feel like I can get out of bed? I, I can see why that would grow so organically because widows everywhere would say, yes, I need that too. <laughs> I need to wait. Is there room yeah. for me? Yeah, Scooch yeah, over, yeah. I'm coming. You know, part of the reason I, I'm writing a book is because I couldn't find anything on losing your husband to prostate cancer at 50, you know, and my husband would say to everyone, I'm dying of an old man's disease that all men don't even die from. Yeah. So that kind of like we do when we get in those positions, like I scour the internet looking for things so I can totally see how this comes. In fact, there's a friend of mine that I want to have on, on the show. And when I went to her, she was one of the only windows that I knew that lived close by. And I said, I know you lost your husband. I know that our circumstances are different, but like, I just need your help. And she stunned me. And she's like, I can't help you. My situation is completely different. Oh, and wow. she didn't have the love and respect of, in her marriage that I had in mine. So she felt like, how can I possibly help you? A different type of loss. Yes. How can I possibly help you with that? And we're going to have her come on to talk about that. But it is interesting that we really do, as widows, we really do need other widows. Like, where's the manual on how do I get up tomorrow? It's that how, yeah. All right, Kim, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we want you to tell us how it grew from... I love the six original widows, the sows. (laughs) That makes me laugh. It's growing organically. People are coming. Some are choosing a path that involves remarriage and new relationships. Some are not. Let's hear in a minute how it grows even from there. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back. So you've grown from six to about how many after those first couple of years? How many would you say are meeting? And are you meeting in someone's house or where are you gathering? Actually, Kent was kind enough to allow us to gather and he had a large room in his office space. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So was it (laughs) still weekly after those first eight sessions or did it become monthly or sporadically? Well, actually, we would start again. So it was an eight week. Yes, so he he actually had an eight week course for grieving. He did. Does he yeah. still have that? And I I never even heard he's of phenomenal. Him. Oh, I don't if you're know. a widow in Ogden, you've heard of him. I promise. He's kind of legendary. and so is Kim, and so is Kim. So 
I will say, and I know I'm jumping ahead chronologically, but it's interesting, Kim, that you said when you were first widowed, you felt isolated that you couldn't find or didn't know where to find other widows that were more in your age group with children in their age group. And I just almost laughed to myself because I thought the second I became widowed, I was instantly connected to so many people through the group that you organized. And I, I appreciate that all, you know, the years you and I are separated by almost 15 years of widowhood, but um, people knew of the group, whether they knew the story behind it or not, they knew that the group existed. They knew there were this network of widows and widowers connected. And I was immediately connected, uh, probably even sooner than I was ready to be connected or even knew that I could benefit from being connected. So that's one huge fruit of your labors. That isolation did not need to be a factor, particularly in the, I, I'm from the same geographical area you were from. So thank you for that. And sorry mm-hmm. to, sorry to jump in, but tell us, so you're meeting with Kent. He has well, an eight week course. Sorry to, sorry to interject. Oh no, I was just going to say, I, now that you're reminding me, it is one of my six original friends that I knew through my daughter about your loss, but immediately I got a message from one of those six original widows saying, we need to add her to the group. <laughs> and so I was so glad that Tanya thought to yeah, do that. Yeah, she did. So, she was sweet. Yep. Phenomenal friendships. Yeah. So moving forward, we probably, gosh, I'm trying to remember now. Um, and people would travel up from Salt Lake even <laughs> to come. And we'd go, sometimes we'd meet up afterward and, just go out for dessert or whatever and just then talk about all these things that Kent had been teaching us and guiding us in. And at one point, a couple of years in, someone wanted to do an article on the six of us. And so there was an article in the Ogden Standard Examiner. And my friend Angie, who was also one of the six, she was the contact for that article and she reached out to me and said, hey, we have a lot of widowers that would like to, you know, they're like, hey, what about us? It's not just women that experience loss. And so we tried to create something specifically for widowers as well. Uh, we found that men typically don't want to just sit around and talk about stuff. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and um, <A> Shocking revelation. <laughs> Um, but uh, it was great to add men to the group as well, and that evolved in a greater extent to a few years later after this group was developed. So I would say, though, that as we grew in the Ogden, uh, Weber County, Box Elder County, Davis County area, we probably had about about 80 people or, or more on my email list. Wow. And and like you said, yeah. this is in a day and time when social media didn't exist. So the only way they could right. really hear about it is if they intentionally heard about it and got added to your, basically your distribution list. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was just all word of mouth. And, but it was amazing how that spread, you know, yeah. just, and I didn't know that there were there was another group that was starting up at the exact same time, like, or even earlier, like 2003, 2004 in Utah County, Salt Lake County. And 
there is a website. It's called ldswidows.com, and it was, I believe, kind of a dating website, so where you could connect with widows and widowers. And so I saw that there was a party on that website. A party was listed, and so I went to that party. It was during April General Conference weekend, I think, or sometime around that, and that was 2009, and I met some people there for the first time, and I had been thinking previous to this how beneficial it would be if we could have some sort of a conference, almost like having education week for widows and widowers that they could learn and experience the same things that we widows had experienced through Ken Allen and get some tools, help them be resilient, help them to move forward in their lives and without leaving their past behind them. So it's not to, I feel like as we move forward, if we use that terminology, it means that we're bringing everything with us as well. Right. Rather than just moving way. on or getting over it or what other phrases sometimes yes. we tend to use in our culture. So you had mm-hmm. this idea that maybe you could benefit or they everyone could benefit from a conference. So you planned one? So what happened is I went to this party and I threw out this idea to a widower that I met there and another widow. And they said, honey, I've been thinking the same thing. Huh. And I said, really? And then a month later, I went to a singles event and I was looking for something there that was specifically would meet my need as a widow. And I just didn't find it. Like a singles conference event, you mean? And none of the, none of the presenters really hit that need. No, they were all wonderful. And the singles conference, they did the, the planners, everybody did a great job with it. It, it just wasn't. But you found there was room for something. Yeah. Something a little more specific. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so when I came back, I had all the contact information of all these other people and they had contacts and they had contacts. It's like that commercial, you know, I told three friends and they told three friends and and so on and so on. And so a little group of us started planning a conference and never done anything like that before. Felt completely inadequate, but I was like, hey, we're just going to do it. And the man that I met at the party who said, yeah, I've been thinking about that too. He had just created a Facebook group called LES Widows and Widowers. Mm. And, and so I did not create that Facebook The page. dawn of social media. Oh, interesting. Yes. But yes. you see all the pieces coming together, that. right? Uh-huh. And, and I think as we're talking yes. of resilience, <laughs> not any one of us could ever be resilient in isolation. And I think mm-hmm. this story embodies that. You're, You're right. Whether it was your group or another group or your idea or another idea, you can see the void was there. Mm-hmm. People felt it and identified it and then said, hey, let's do something about it. And and that isn't that resilience? Yeah. <laughs> to say yeah. something's and there off. Are, what can I do? What can we do? Wherever you're listening to this and our audio listenership is increasing across the country, there are widow groups Geographically located, for Geog- sure. Not, not only for this one, if you're... A, a church, a church going Latter Day Saint, but even if you're not, there are different 
organizations, different religious groups, different non-religious groups right. um, that do that. And I, I went to one called Camp Widower. No, Camp Widow. Camp Widow. Camp Widow. It was Widow. in California, Yeah, right? it was I in remember. California. Okay. In fact, I want to go back again this year. I'm ready to go revisit that now that the pandemic's over. But I love these groups. I love that it is kind of ironic that you lose your person and then more than anything, you want to connect with other people who with have people. also lost their person. Yeah. So how and where yeah. and when did you host the first conference that you had no background hosting? I love this. Like I've planned some events. I'm like, this is an undertaking that you probably didn't realize what an undertaking it even was until you just said, we're just going to do it. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. No. Well, and just revisiting those initial prayers, I I promised Heavenly Father that as as I prayed for His help in in meeting people, I just said, you know, I'm in a really good spot, generally speaking, comparatively speaking, and I feel the need. I promise that if you'll let me meet people, that I can have friends that'll get it. I'll do whatever I can to help. To help someone else. That outward thing. Yeah. I want to be able to help. And I'm completely inadequate, but I know that if I ask for your help, I know you can help me do anything. And that is the miracle of this. The miracle (laughs) is, for me, is having a front row seat of watching the miracles and seeing the miracles and seeing all of the people come together, not just one person. No way could one person do this. Sure. No way. And so on um, that first conference, we started meeting at like a Paradise Bakery, I think, in Bountiful, just because um, it was kind of equidistant for the North and the South to come up. And we held it in a chapel in Leighton, the idea was that it was close to I-84, uh, I think that's right, that we could go up to um, Snow Basin for one of the activities and do one of the dinners that was in the lodge up on the top of the hill. So it was a really great location for that, and we got permission to use a church building. I just want to clarify that LDS Widows and Widowers, as it was originally called, we now refer to it as Latter-day Saint Widows and Widowers, is not an official organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is never intended to um, replicate the single adult organization of the church. Absolutely, it's its own thing, and we do everything we do is on a volunteer basis. We do strive to um, live by the principles of the church And in that, invite everyone who is interested in being part of this group that is a widow or widower is welcome. And no matter your religious affiliation or where you are in the way that you feel about your religious affiliation, we just welcome you. Our goal is to comfort those who stand in need of comfort and mourn with those that mourn and be a place of support and friendship. It's not a dating group. It really is. Which I can support one um, another. This is where I'll interject again because when that same that same friend that you and I share, Tanya, when she reached out to me to let me know about the existence, particularly of the Facebook group, we weren't talking conferences at that point. Really early in my widowhood, 
I remember my reaction being, I am not looking for a widow dating site. And she reassured me that it is uh, not, it, it's not a dating site. Although several widows and widowers have connected through that shared loss. But let's talk for a minute, Kim. What year was that first conference? So the first conference took place March of 2010. And how many participants did you have? Probably about 200. Uh, oh my gosh, that's a lot. That's your first. Okay, so this was yeah. not 20 people. So after no, March after March of 2010, and it sounds like you had activities and meals and speakers. So this is a legit conference. Mm-hmm. This isn't just like, hey, come yeah. show up for an hour. What, mm-hmm. during that, if you can, put yourself back to that day. Did you know then that this would be a recurring theme? Did you say, okay, we're going to do this annually. We're going to do this five times a year. Did you, did you make a plan at that point or did it continue to just grow organically from that 2010? It did grow organically. I worked closely with Ken Allen and, and talking with him, we felt like there was a need to do a conference twice a year. So we did a conference in March and then we did one either September or October. Kind of that six month range is when, I feel like you can start to feel kind of depleted and you need, you need another that shot lift. in the arm. Okay. Right. But we also felt like we needed to um, focus a little bit. So these conferences at the time were focused on widows and widowers age 20 ish to 50 ish. Okay. Specifically for the younger set. Although we had people join us who were a little bit older and we didn't turn anybody away. And over the years, that's, uh, well, we'll go into that a little bit later, but (laughs) initially that's how it started. And so the fall conference that we held, it was more of a a parenting conference and focused on how to help your kids going through the widow process. But we've always included kind of a grieving 101 workshop, a uh, red flags of dating workshop. Maybe in the fall, it pertains at that time, it pertained even more closely to how to protect your kids when you are dating and to not have them feel like there's just revolving door people in my life and loss. And that would be so challenging and difficult. So we wouldn't want to add to our children's grief. So those things, and we always try to have something for everyone. We try to have something for those who are interested in learning and thriving on their own, finding joy on their own. We try to give people information about dating, about remarriage, about blending families and bringing people together. And even if that's not your interest in that moment in time, it's information to put in your back pocket because it's amazing how often I would hear someone say, that is not for me. And six months later, they are getting married. And so we just don't know when opportunities come into our lives. So it feels really important to gather information that can be beneficial to us, hold on to that for the time that it's needed. Well, and I love, like Michelle had mentioned earlier, and you had just said the same thing, Kim, that there's something for everyone by offering a variety of topics, a variety of backgrounds. Everyone's welcome. Um, It it by nature is a Latter-day Saint 
group in the name, but you nobody's checking your church attendance at the door. People have different faith journeys along with their grief journey, and everyone's welcome, and you can find someone who who you can say, oh, you really, you get it. Maybe your story is so similar to mine that I feel a, a connection with you. And like you said, maybe there's information that you don't need today, but as a widow, you can you can hang on to that. I especially like what you've said about the the dating piece and how that relates to moving forward. I think for a lot of widows, I mean, for some, there's some of us, and I include myself in this this topic that right away, are, I'm not interested in dating. That it's, I don't feel lonely. I don't feel I don't need that. Um, I frankly, right after Brent died, I hate that thought quite a bit. But mm-hmm. when you're kidding together with people, particularly if, if this group is it's widows, it's widowers, people who have beautiful past lives that are looking to move forward and live beautiful, continuing lives, I think you create a space where maybe there's a little more safety in saying, and that beautiful forward might include a relationship. And, and it might not. And you can be happy and thrive whether you do or don't pursue, you know, another romantic partner as a widow. But I think what I love about my my participation with your group, most of my participation has been virtual. I'll admit, I, I haven't attended a lot of the conferences in person, but the virtual connection to someone where um, regardless of where you are in that journey, there's someone that's probably pretty close on the path to you. Mm-hmm. So let's take one more quick break and then come back and take us from that first conference a little over a decade ago with a couple hundred people twice a year to where it's grown now, particularly including this virtual space, maybe how you feel about the journey that that you have taken, but also this group that you kind of kickstarted a few years ago and did you ever see where it would lead? We'll be right back. Kim, so we're jumping into our final segment. I would love to hear your thoughts and also your perceptions of the last decade. You've given us kind of that first decade after you lost your husband and and how God guided you and some friends and some other widows to this beautiful creation of a community. And now it's kind of, I mean, I imagine you've got to step back sometimes and say, holy cow, how did this all come to be? Are you content with it? Do you feel... Did you did you envision any of this? Did you kind of had a hunch from the beginning this is where it would go? Or walk us through maybe the the fast forward version of the second decade of the widow and widowers group you helped create. Well, we continued to have conferences twice a year for several years. We moved our location to a stake center in Centerville, and were there for five years. And uh, but we found ourselves outgrowing that when our numbers were approaching over 350 attending. And and I remarried in 2013. So this year will mark my 10th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Oh, yes. yes. Thank you. And that marriage brought me to Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So I was planning conferences like... Uh, we had our March conference in 2013. I got married March 30th of that year. Oh, my goodness. And so, 
yeah, that was a little <laughs> bit crazy. Whole Just from the story. event standpoint, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And so we got home and immediately I started planning for the fall conference yeah. of 2013. Then immediately you're done with that. You're yeah. out for that. A twice a year conference is a full-time thing. It really yeah. is. So in 2014, at that March conference, the planning committee, I've always had amazing planning committees over the years. So many wonderful people. No way anybody can do this alone. And we had decided that it would be wise if we invited those who felt inspired to hold regional mini conferences in the fall in their own area so that people who may never travel to Utah may be able to enjoy that kind of association where they live. So we had some locations feel impressed to do that early on. And so some regional mini conferences took place and then they kind of grew and expanded and that invitation still exists, and we still just let people feel inspired as they do. And it is, again, I say, an amazing blessing to have a front row seat to watch all of these miracles take place as these regional conferences unfold and hear their stories. So that's when we moved into an annual main conference and when we outgrew the Stake Center in Centerville, we moved to BYU for a few years. Then the pandemic happened. And after the pandemic, we have moved our conferences to the Salt Lake City Institute of Religion uh, on the campus of University of Utah. And so we had our first in-person Widow Widower Conference last May. But this year, it will take place at the Institute at the U in March. It'll be March 9th through 11th. So we're in the midst of planning that right now. So the journey over the last decade has been one of constant change and constant appreciation for those who have selflessly been serving and contributing to the Facebook group and we vet every invitation to join the group, every request to join the group, uh, because we want to be sure that those that are in the group are widowed, and we're not exclusive to the point that you can't remain in the group if you're remarried or if you were widowed and got divorced or you were divorced and then you remarried and then you widowed. It, it's just that you were at some point widowed because one thing that I think people kind of have a misconception about is that if you've remarried, then all of a sudden you never grieve again and nothing could be further from the truth. You can never. I love that you address that. We've, we've talked about that a lot. Michelle and I, I've talked about that a lot with some of my fellow army military widows that, regardless of how beautiful the future might be in, in any way with a relationship or not, I will forever be the widow of Brent Taylor. That will never, you don't erase that. You don't check the box, be done with that. You don't graduate. Our children don't ever graduate from having lost a parent. We don't age out of that. And so I appreciate that you recognize that and give space for that, that you can be 
still unremarried widow, a remarried widow, a divorced remarried widow, whichever category of widow you are, if you've experienced widowhood, there's room for you. And I love that you make that space. Absolutely. It is hard because we receive requests from a lot of different situations. And it is a very small niche that we address. And we know that grief is, I think, unfulfilled expectations is one of the most challenging grief circumstances. Mm. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Of life. And we could apply that to grief of all kinds, not just widowhood grief. Mm -hmm. Kellyanne, wouldn't you agree? Our producer in here. The unfulfilled expectation of what I thought my life would be, what I thought my future would look like, what I thought my path would hold. Okay, Kimberly, you said this year's conference is coming up. There will be people who hear this episode before then, that time in March, that might say, hey, I wonder if there's a spot for me. I wonder if maybe I could benefit from attending and participating. Tell us a little bit, if you can, about what those couple of days in Salt Lake will involve and how someone can register. Is there a cost associated? How would they register if they decided they wanted to come be a part of that? Is there still room or is it full? Those are great questions. For us, these conferences feel more like a family reunion feel as opposed to a formal business conference feel. I love it. So we are a little, uh, and it's just us. You know, and when I say just us, there are over 7,400 members of this Facebook group. So Wait, say that number uh, again. How many? How many? Over 7,400. There Look may be how even beautiful that is. <laughs> and that's something, you know, for so, all the bad rap social media gets. And of course, there's plenty of problems with social media. How beautiful that that allows people who don't live right next door to the church where you happen to hold a conference 10 years ago to still be connected and still be a part of that. So that is a huge, one of the blessings, one of the pro sides of social media, because that's a lot of people and I guarantee they don't all live in Salt Lake or Davis County. Oh no. And we have people come from all over the world on occasion, not very many, but we've had people come from other countries. So the good news is if the link's not up, mm -hmm. it's not sold out yet. Right. So once your link is up, do people, do people pay to register? If someone so this is, is interested done by in donation only. This okay. is all by donation. We usually have a recommended donation of about $50, but we invite people to pay a little bit more, even a dollar more for those that can't afford to pay the whole thing. Okay. And frankly, we never, we never ask if anybody's paid. People are welcome to come. And, That's remarkable. Um, and you it is remarkable. pointed out all of you that plan so this do so as volunteers, which is what takes down a oh, huge yeah. cost. Yeah. I imagine you maybe get the Institute or yeah. Church building donated as a space because event space can be tens of thousands of dollars for yeah. a several day thing. Absolutely. Okay. Um, they've been so kind to allow us to use the building and we're very grateful for that. That's why the donation aspect, that's why I love it so much. Because we can do that. And if we, and I always joke that if the donations are peanut butter and jelly type of donations for the meal, then that's That's what what we feed you. And that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. But if the donation is a little bit more, then, you know, we can afford to do the meal that we would like to do. Yeah. We work with what we've got. But we also recognize that the fellowship and the time together. That's the part of the conference that's so 
important. Yeah. It's not necessarily the food that's there or even the speakers that are there, although sure. we have fabulous speakers scheduled to come. And Kent and, Allen still um, participates to this day, right? To this day. He will be there all day Friday, Because I know you can, you can no longer just schedule a therapy appointment with him in, in terms of his professional time and practice availability, yeah. but he still makes the time to be part of these conferences. So that's great. I look he forward does. to it. I'll be there for sure. Well, and I'm happy that you were willing to do a workshop for us. It'll be very fun. <laughs> we have a lot of workshops. <laughs> but if you would like to go to the website, go to ldswidowsconference.com. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes that too. That is the conference website. Thank you for sharing. I mean, now we've shared almost 20 years, 30 years. If you back up to where you, you shared your beginning story of your life with your husband and your young daughters, and now to the great work, I know Michelle and I have often spoken about and experienced the help that service gives resilience, the help that thinking of others gives you when you're trying to be resilient. We all go through difficult things, and it's easy to get stuck in how difficult those things are. But there is a power that is unleashed when we try to help someone else through their difficult thing. And you have just embodied that and taught us so much about that and provided a lot of resources for a lot of people to connect in ways that, um, you know, might might not have been possible had you not uh, taken those steps. So thank you for being willing to walk through those doors that got opened for you and share with the rest of us. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I want to give a special thanks to our producer, Kellyanne Halverson. She works so hard for us on the show, and she does a <laughs> she lot more. She makes it more. all possible. She makes it possible. She does the editing. She does so much more. Thanks, special Kellyanne. Special shout out for Kellyanne, who's telling me to hurry it along because she doesn't want to be <laughs> fond over. But um, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to free to our podcast anywhere that you get your podcast. Be sure to give us a rating and a review. It really helps us move up in the directory of yeah. podcasts. And it helps people find it more easily, yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. So if uh, you know someone that has a real story about their real life experiences and they're willing to share, please send us an email at rrpodcast at ksl.com and you can find us directly on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or on Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. And uh, I check those frequently, so I will be happy to discuss uh, what you'd like to share and book and schedule a time on the show. And remember, whatever you do today, please remember to be kind. You have no idea the difficulties other people are dealing with in their lives. Take care, everybody. Have a good day. Bye. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.